0: Welcome to the Resilience and Opportunity Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lampman, recording here in sunny Orlando, Florida, June 16th, 2019. So I'd like to show this week's intended topic of green marketing in favor of advancing our understanding of last week's theme, externalities. The confluence of an important news story this week and the third anniversary of Orlando's worst day caused me to consider these events from a new perspective. A new perspective, they'll drive home what we covered last week about how to think about negative externalities. I want to advance how people think about the costs and how those costs and their corresponding benefits are distributed from a personal rather than a, my usual business perspective. It may be helpful for some to take this topic from the top by re-listening to episode four before playing this episode. So last week, I talked about how uncaptured negative costs, or negative externalities as they're also known, are the currency on which sustainable solutions develop and trade. The basic idea is that you identify a product, service, or policy's negative impacts and develop ways to either reduce or eliminate their associated negative costs. My go-to example is how electric landscaping equipment provides businesses with a competitive advantage By addressing gas-powered equipment's uncaptured negative health, financial, and environmental costs. I also talked about how one key tenet of understanding the impacts of negative uncaptured costs is that the originator of those costs convey them to others or society at large. We, as individuals and organizations, confer negative costs to others and society in a thousand different ways, both large and small, every day. Put simply... We all strive to concentrate benefits to ourselves and distribute any associated negative impacts to others. The crucial second key tenet of the concept of uncaptured negative costs and sustainability more broadly is something we didn't get into last week that I call apportionment. Apportionment simply refers to the decision process we all use every day on thousands of decisions to assess an action or opportunity's weighted costs and its corresponding benefits incentive structure. We establish what associated costs we will pay, what costs we will convey to others, and how much benefit will accrue to us, our company, our organization, or government as a result. It goes without saying that we assign a higher associated value to the costs that will accrue to us and a significantly lower value to the costs that will be conveyed to others. For example, consider one aspect of the decision process the owner of a landscape company makes when deciding whether to invest in new electric-powered equipment. She or he has to determine whether the benefit that will accrue to them, most often in terms of economic value saved or created, is significant enough to justify prioritizing this investment over other investment opportunities. By contrast, the negative health impacts associated with operating gas-powered equipment eight hours a day fall disproportionately to their employees. This health consideration, therefore, does not receive the weighted value it should because this negative cost is not being conveyed to the person making the investment decision. I would say that it's safe to assume that most of the individual and collective decisions we make every day heavily favor opportunities to accrue the most benefit to ourselves and dissipate as many of the associated negative costs to others or society at large. This week John Stewart's June 11th, 2019 congressional testimony put in stark relief thousands of examples in which men and women chose to accept steep personal risk and therefore negative costs even though their actions would earn them little more than awards and accolades. John Stewart's congressional testimony was respectful yet forceful and heartfelt. He talked about how the 18 years have passed and yet those who responded to the 9/11 attacks And those who dug through the rubble still don't have dependable long-term health care funding and assurances. The current federal program only provides funding for the 9-11 first responders through 2020. So John Stewart was once again back on the hill making the case for these women and men. He talked about the thousands of 9-11 related cancer cases that are devastating this community and the thousands of more cancer diagnoses and other associated physical and mental diagnoses still to come. I can't think of a better example of people selflessly accepting severe negative personal costs so that a more significant benefit can be conveyed to our country than the actions taken by 9-11 first responders. They pulled survivors from the rubble, put out fires that burned on for weeks, and were sometimes fortunate enough to reunite families with their loved one's remains. These folks volunteered for the inherent dangers of performing their arduous duties in such a difficult and trying setting for many hours every day and often for months on end. They readily accepted the professional and personal emotional strain that came from looking for the survivors in those early days and then moving on to recovering as many of those we lost as possible. Extreme exposure to toxic asbestos and other hazardous materials was the greatest existential threat these first responders faced yet little was done to reduce their exposure. Ground Zero was chaotic and strained New York and national resources, but I still don't understand how no one prioritized providing these Ground Zero workers with proper protective equipment. I don't know how it could be that no medical, government, or academic organization, or even an individual from one of these disciplines, didn't raise national level concerns about the severe health risk these heroes faced. Some professional from some field or academic discipline must have had the requisite education and background to foresee the severe health implications that awaited these workers. Perhaps an audible warning from an authoritative group or individual would have been enough to protect the health of some Ground Zero heroes, if by no other means than people buying and wearing their own protective equipment. I have little doubt that these heroes would have continued to do their job even if they had been made better aware of the severe health risks they faced. That said, the government had a responsibility to clearly articulate the risk Ground Zero workers faced and let them decide what was best for their future and that of their families. John Stewart very adeptly pointed out the distributed benefit that these heroes provided our country by way of their willingness to absorb high physical and emotional costs on our behalf. He made the point that the responsibility of caring for these heroes, therefore, fell to all of us rather than a single city or state. He drove this point home when he said, Al-Qaeda didn't shout death to Tribeca. They attacked America. The cost of this attack fell disproportionately to New York. But this burden belonged to all Americans who benefited directly and indirectly from New York's healing and resurgence. The problem with heroes is that, by definition, they jump first and look for the safety net later. American history is riddled with examples of when society benefited from the actions of a few heroes. However, the corresponding negative cost fell disproportionately to those who dared. How many decades did Vietnam veterans have to fight before our government acknowledged Agent Orange's severe negative health impacts? How many veterans suffered and died before the government reclaimed a portion of Agent Orange's negative health costs? Costs that the leaders from a past generation originally apportioned to these young men and women who mixed, sprayed, and were sprayed by this notorious carcinogen. How will today's Iraq and Afghanistan veterans fare in the coming years and decades after thousands spent cumulative months and years exposed to the toxic pollution of U.S.-made garbage burn pits? Burn pits, for those who don't know, were how American Iraq and Afghanistan bases dealt with their trash. All trash, to include medical waste, electronics, and chemicals, were pushed into a pile at the edge of base and set on fire. The smoke from these fires was so harmful that they would tell us to limit our outside activity and physical exertion. Now, I could never figure out what the right level of physical exertion was for smoke so thick that visibility could often be measured in tens of yards. John Stewart has pointed out the parallels between 9-11 first responders' plight and that of thousands of veterans exposed to toxic war zone burn pit pollution. The VA, to its credit, has already established a registry to track those veterans exposed to this emerging health threat. The registry application is easy to find online under the search airborne hazards and open burn pit registry. The sad reality is that we will lose many more 9-11 first responders to disease rates that issuing proper protective gear could have prevented than we lost the day the World Trade Center towers fell. Correspondingly, We stand to lose many more Iraq and Afghanistan veterans to extreme environmental pollution than were ever lost to enemy action. John Stewart's testimony also served to contextualize for me my community's own call for heroes three years ago this week. Police, firefighter, and EMS personnel flooded into downtown Orlando from all across the immediate surrounding communities and from across the state to respond to the Pulse nightclub shooting. Many of these women and men They knew they were running headlong into an extreme threat as automatic gunfire was reported to be originating from inside the club. They also knew that when these guns fell silent, the terrible burden of bearing witness to such a horrific scene would fall to them. They recognized that by racing toward this mass shooting scene, they were willfully volunteering to risk their immediate physical safety and long-term emotional well-being to help others. These men and women answered their community's call, despite knowing just what kind of incredible physical and mental costs they may later face. We all benefited from the incredible work these folks did to provide for our security and to bring dignity and closure to those we lost. But their service that night will exact a heavy personal cost on many of them for years to come. John Stewart demonstrated how we must all stand up and share in the incredible burden shouldered by the brave if we are to expect tomorrow's heroes to enter the breach when their country calls. Thank you, Mr. Stewart, for stepping up and doing this important work on behalf of our 9-11 heroes. All right, so thank you for taking this detour with me. Like I said at the top of the podcast, I, I was really moved by John Stewart's congressional testimony. He has done incredible work on behalf of Americans that we frankly have left to fend for themselves despite their service to our country during our time of greatest need. I hope this episode helps folks really think of the long-term implications for not internalizing the negative costs associated with taking this particular action. Whether it's Agent Orange, 9-11, Iraq and Afghanistan war burn pits, or domestic mass shootings, we as a country have to stop thinking of the health and welfare of those willing to sacrifice on our behalf at just another cost of doing business. Times will inevitably come in our country's future when we can little afford to have tomorrow's heroes hesitate as they're entering the breach on our behalf. You've been listening to the podcast Resilience and Opportunity. Again, I'm your host, Mark Lampman, like a lamp and a man. Please do reach out via the website, Resilop.com, R-E-S-I-L, O P P, or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Love to get your thoughts and insight on this podcast. It was tricky to weave sustainability into a topic like 9-11 first responders, so I'd love to hear how you thought it went, and if you came away with any new ways of considering some of the topics I raised in this episode. Next week, I'm going to be pretty short on time, but I'm going to try to push out perhaps the shortest of short podcasts I promise to bring back a little levity and my brand of humor in episode six. I look forward to hearing from you in the meantime. Until then, all the best.